speech from the throne. We have shown we can accomplish anything by working together. The government's priorities to move BC beyond the pandemic. No rush to end the restrictions. I have confidence in the people that are making these decisions. As other provinces start lifting the rules, how soon BC might follow. And the former Whitecaps coach guilty of sex crimes against the young women he was supposed to protect. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with the BC government's blueprint of post-pandemic recovery. The NDP agenda laid out in the throne speech today offers a glimpse of what the next few months will bring. Richard Zussman has the details. It is a path, at least for now, to the end of the pandemic. In the months ahead, your government's top priority will continue to be keeping people healthy and safe through the rest of the pandemic. The end, months, not years away. The B.C. government presenting a throne speech, short on details, but big on the idea B.C. can live with COVID. I absolutely understand that people are done with this. I I live in a community. I have neighbours. I I talk to people all the time and we want to move on. They want to move on. We all want to move on. But uh, we have been successful by following uh, the guidelines and the hard work of public health officials. Public health is expected to ease some restrictions before family day. Expect to see an increase in capacity limits and allow wedding and funeral receptions to resume. But for a full bounce back, there's no move more crucial than getting people back in the workplace. The province, not there yet. To drive transit ridership, gas consumption, downtown bars and restaurants. We need people back and moving around and spending their discretionary money on uh, a night out, uh, uh, gifts, uh, retail activity uh, that's not internet based, I would suggest. Promises in the throne speech also built around the pandemic lessons, improving workers' compensation, rolling childcare into the Ministry of Education and overseen regionally, and a push for more health care money from Ottawa. But I'm hopeful that uh, the year of the tiger, 2022, will be a much better year and a more prosperous year for all of us, where we experience good health and our communities continue to grow and prosper. And whether we could see a surge of COVID-19 cases next fall, Horgan says he'll leave that up to Dr. Bonnie Henry. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And John Horgan says his government won't necessarily follow other provinces as some of them prepare to ease COVID-19 restrictions. Horgan's comments coming on the same day Canada's two other western provinces announced dramatic changes in their pandemic policies. Aaron MacArthur has the details. Across the country, people are ready to end their hibernation. COVID fatigue is translating into action from provincial governments. In Saskatchewan, the Premier announcing a February 14th end to passports and restrictions. Modelling scientists say the province is being hasty. Hospitalizations are near their peak. They're just barely declining. So lifting the restrictions right at peak hospitalizations is a dangerous thing to do. Alberta following suit. Jason Kenney has been hinting at reversing course again for weeks now. Tuesday, making the announcement that getting back to normal is the priority. The threat of COVID-19 to public health is uh, no, no longer outweighs the hugely damaging impact of health restrictions on our society, on people's mental health, on their emotional well-being. Changes are coming across North America. 
Outside of Los Angeles County, California set to end its indoor mask mandate this week. And New York planning to end the indoor restrictions on Wednesday as well. B.C. has indicated changes are coming. Dr. Henry suggesting the health orders set to expire over the Family Day weekend will not be extended. John Horgan Tuesday reiterating that point, saying the removal of restrictions will be measured. I understand the, the work that the public health officials are doing with uh, Minister Dix and others to ensure that we're in sync with the public and the, and the virus, not in sync with uh, a handful of protesters. Case numbers are coming down, but they are still higher than modelers are comfortable with. Living with COVID, however, something we are all going to have to grow accustomed to. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And here's a look now at the latest COVID-19 numbers for B.C. There are 986 COVID patients in hospital right now. 146 are in the ICU. Some good news today. We have no new deaths to report. Active cases continue to drop now at about 24,000, including 1,117 new infections. So let's bring in Keith Baldry once again. Keith, what indicators will officially, uh, officials be looking at before they decide to drop some of these restrictions? Yeah, the indicators are largely the people suffering the most severe forms of the illness, hospitalizations, ICUs, and such. So take a look at where we're headed on four key indicators. Our positivity rate right now is dropping. That's a sign that there's less transmission out there. It's dropped considerably from a month ago. ICU numbers are fairly stable, about 130 to 146 on any given day. It hasn't really exploded like it has in other provinces. The daily case count has declined significantly from a month ago. Again, that's tied to the positivity rate. Hospitalizations are slowing. They're still very high, make no mistake, but they're down 122 on a daily basis in Fraser Health since January 31st. Premier John Horgan picking up on that point today about the decline in hospitalizations. As hospitalizations start to decline, we're in a better position to take actions on um, restrictions that are in place and be more encouraging of uh, people to get back uh, in the game. So again, hospitalizations are key. They're still very high, Chris, but I note in Washington State, they're down 33% in one week. That's the first drop in that state for some time. And that's just basically right next door in Seattle. And our case numbers, again, uh, from day to day, we only had 63 people test positive for COVID-19 in BC hospitals. Uh, that's the lowest number we've seen in weeks. So hopefully that trend continues. No doubt. Okay, thanks, Keith. <laughs> A group of anti-vaccine mandate protesters gathered outside the legislature today. Several dozen people held up signs and Canadian flags and tried to get passing vehicles to honk in support. Well, the group did have the support of two pickups that were driven in loops around the block with their horns blaring. An anti-vaccine mandate protest is making life very uncomfortable for the children, parents and staff at a South Surrey daycare. near the Pacific Highway border crossing at 176th Street and now includes tents, heaters, a fire pit and portable toilets. The daycare operator says not only has the camp taken over their parking lot, but protesters are constantly honking, shouting and playing loud music and leaving their vehicles running all day. Just go straight down one block and there's a big empty field. Bring your protest down to the empty field. Leave the child care centre alone, the children, the families. 
our parking situation and the noise, not to mention the amount of time and energy this has taken away from our week already. We're just tired. We have received some concerns uh, from businesses in the area. Uh, the main concern just being general noise and um, some congestion as well as some parking issues. The protesters have said they plan to stay until all federal and provincial vaccine mandates and COVID restrictions are lifted. The truck involved in a caught-on-camera altercation with a cyclist on Saturday, the driver of that truck, has lost his job. The owner of Van Dock Transport tells Global News the company does not condone or support the actions of the driver and he has been terminated. Vancouver police have also launched an investigation into the incident on Saturday at the intersection of 12th and Ontario in Vancouver. The truck involved was later seen downtown taking part in the so-called Freedom Convoy protest. Ottawa police say they have issued more tickets and made more arrests today in what is now the 12th day of protests in the city's core. Deputy Police Chief Steve Bell says more than 1,300 tickets have been issued. Nearly 80 criminal investigations are underway. Police say the remaining protesters are highly determined and are trying to undermine officials. Bell also says nearly a quarter of all trucks still encamped on Ottawa streets have children in them complicating the efforts to end the demonstration. We're not at the stage of looking um, to do any sort of uh, enforcement activity around that. We'll rely on the Children's Aid Society to help provide and give us guidance around that. We just think it's an important factor that's in, that, that complicates and, and, and makes this an even more challenging operation. Ottawa police are also working with American authorities to track emailed threats to public officials which have originated outside of Canada. And a vital Canada-U.S. border link is all but closed. Demonstrators against COVID-19 mandates are protesting at the Ambassador Bridge, which links Windsor, Ontario and Detroit, Michigan. Global's Sean O'Shea is on the Canadian side with the latest. The Ambassador Bridge links Windsor, Ontario with Detroit, Michigan, and it's not just any bridge. The uh, crossing at the Ambassador Bridge is the most important crossing in North America. Protesters who oppose mandatory vaccinations and mask mandates are blocking the area behind the Canada Border Services Agency checkpoints, in effect closing off all traffic, saying they have the right. Our lives have been hijacked for two years, literally hijacked. This was the lineup of trucks on the Detroit side. Now they've been diverted to a less convenient and distant crossing at Sarnia, Ontario. It doesn't make sense to disturb the rest of the public, right? So they, they shouldn't be blocking the borders and they shouldn't be blocking the roads. The protest also affected U.S.-bound trucks. This was the long lineup of trucks in Windsor waiting to cross. Such blockades will have serious implication on our economy, on our supply chain. The shutdown didn't take much planning or heavy equipment. Only a handful of big rigs plus pickup trucks and protesters on foot. Police watching and blocking access roads, nothing more. But we're putting the pressure because we want the attention. Right? We want our cause to be heard. Shutting down the bridge is a way that these people have bonded together here to say, hey, listen, we're trying to get attention so there can be communication. This trade route, more than others in Canada, supports auto manufacturing and other key industries. 
Delays of any kind are bad for business. It's urgent that governments do everything possible to ensure a peaceful resolution immediately. Sean O'Shea, Global News. Another series of violent attacks in downtown Vancouver. A suspect terrorizing residents and how police caught up to him next on the News Hour. Barge on the beach souvenirs. How one day you'll be able to own a piece of the iconic landmark long after it's gone. And a local artist with soul. The tip from his daughter that has Dave Benning walking a new path in collectible shoes later. Right now, though, Vancouver police have made an arrest in a spree of stranger assaults in the city's downtown core last night. Three people were attacked. One was stabbed in the face. Ahmad Agahi is live at Emory Barnes Park where it all began. Ahmad, take us through what happened last night. Well, this is an example, another example of these random assaults, these stranger attacks that we have been hearing about in greater frequency in Vancouver and especially in downtown. Latest example happening uh, last night at about 8.30 when police got a call of a man with a knife in the area where we are and a bit further west in the West End. And that's when officers flooded the streets and it didn't take long for them to find the victim, the first of which was here at Emory Barners Park, uh, a park in Yale Town. A lot of people bring their kids and dogs to and uh, police say that uh, the suspect had approached a man here, a 21-year-old man, asked to use his vape before pulling a knife and trying to stab him. Officers then say the same suspect walked to a restaurant on Davie near House Street and stabbed a 65-year-old man in the face before attacking another person, a 25-year-old woman nearby on Hornby Street. Both of these last victims had to go to hospital with what police are calling non-fatal injuries. And about eight hours later, early this morning, police found the person responsible, a 30-year-old man in an apartment building in Mount Pleasant. Now, these stranger attacks have been piling up in downtown. You'll remember New Year's Eve, a woman was um, pushed over walking past the Rosewood Hotel, Georgia. And on the 22nd of January, in what police called an unprovoked attack, uh, a man, a, a tourist, uh, was was stabbed uh, multiple times in a Tim Hortons. VPD say they're trying to get to the bottom of why this is happening more now. We're hoping that we'll be able to uh, address the problem, restore a sense of safety, and get people who are really um, um, feeling uh, anxious uh, and concerned about what's happening in their city uh, feeling a little bit more comfortable. Now, these stranger attacks are a problem. Sergeant Steve Addison said in that press conference earlier today that an average of 4.2 people a day are victims of a random assault. Police are trying their best to understand it. Uh, they went out this weekend handing out what they're calling alarms just so people just know of what is going on and so they can hear from people as well. Uh, just trying to get that number lowered now. Wow. Well, those alarms will certainly attract attention. Amanda, thank you. Surrey RCMP are the latest to warn about a growing scam that's fleecing B.C. seniors out of hundreds of thousands of dollars. Surrey Mounties say in the month of January they received 10 complaints about the grandson scam. Out of those 10, three seniors fell victim and lost a total of $139,000. The scam usually involves a suspect calling a senior pretending to be their grandson and telling them they've been arrested and need bail money. As with this incident last month that sparked a Vancouver police warning, someone often attends the senior's home to pick up the money. It happened to two of the three Surrey victims. Police are urging people to talk to the seniors in their lives and warn them about the scam. 
Up next, vindication for victims of sexual assaults. It just allows for another step forward. A Whitecaps coach pleads guilty years after allegations first surfaced. And what friends and family and even strangers are doing to remember a young B.C. woman murdered in the U.K. dark and gloomy night over here at the Patello Bridge, but traffic is actually in pretty decent shape both ways. Just a little bit of volume on the Columbia Street on-ramp to head south. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC in partnership with Pacific Blue Cross, flexible small business health benefits for challenging times. A surprise guilty plea today from a former high-ranking soccer coach at the center of a scandal that reverberated across Canada. Bob Berarda, the former coach of the Canadian U-20 women's national soccer team and the Vancouver Whitecaps women's teams, pleaded guilty to four sex crimes. Catherine Urquhart has the details. Former women's soccer coach Bob Berarda is now a convicted sex offender. This after numerous allegations were made by young women who played for the Vancouver Whitecaps and the Canadian national teams. Berarda was expected to appear here at North Vancouver Provincial Court. Instead, he appeared by video, doing so from the office of his high-profile lawyer, Bill Smart. Berarda pleaded guilty to four charges, three counts of sexual assault and one count of touching a young person for a sexual purpose total gratitude and and so happy for the women that came forward um yeah i i think there's just this has been such a long process in 2019 mccormick wrote a blog about berarda's crimes after which whitecaps fans staged several walkouts during games Berarda was first charged in 2020, linked to offences spanning two decades, between 1988 and 2008. It was alleged he touched players, sent them sexual messages, and retaliated against those who challenged him. McCormack says more needs to be done to ensure others aren't victimized in the future. I can say with confidence that athletes are not safe in the system the way that it's set up currently, and I think for All of us, that's our focus moving forward as to how do we make sure that, you know, this never happens again. The Vancouver Whitecaps say they continue to cooperate with an independent review launched by MLS and welcome any recommendations that will further ensure that we have the appropriate preventative measures in place to foster a safe environment for all athletes and staff. As for Berarda's guilty plea by video, BC Prosecution Service says that's an option during COVID. However, they do expect Berarda to be in court for his sentencing. A date for that remains to be scheduled. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A fundraising drive has begun to bring back to B.C. the body of a Vernon teenager who was murdered in the U.K. As Krista Dow reports, friends and family of 19-year-old Ashley Wadsworth say the logistics involved when a tragedy like this happens in another country are both daunting and costly. Ashley was adventurous. Uh, She was really smart. She was determined. Uh, She was protective. 
the family of Ashley Wadsworth choosing to remember her for how she lived. At just 19 years old, they say the Vernon teen was fearless. She followed her dreams and and she was so brave. And I mean, she's 19 and she had the guts during the pandemic to travel across the world to do something she always wanted to do. So, so that doesn't tell you who she was. I don't know what does. <laughs> Ashley moved to the UK in November, her trip of a lifetime turning tragic. Essex police say she was found dead last Tuesday at a home northeast of London. Her family now bears the added burden of trying to bring her home. A fundraiser has been launched to help transport Ashley's remains and pay for funeral costs. The logistics of something like this happening in another country are quite complicated and costly. Um, and Ashley will be coming home. There's no Whatever it takes to do that, that's what we'll do as a family. Police have arrested her boyfriend, 23-year-old Jack Seppel. While Ashley's story is rare, it follows a troubling trend. Each year, 20,000 women in B.C. report domestic violence occurring within their homes. Many more domestic assaults go unreported. Those on the front line say there is always help available and reminding victims to confide in someone they trust. Whether it's a sibling or a family friend having a code word where they know that they're in risk, when they are ready to do so, there will be someone available to provide those supports to them. For Ashley, support continues even after she's gone. In Essex, complete strangers honoring a life taken too soon. It's a small gesture of compassion that, like her memory, her family will forever cherish. Krista Dow, Global News. Up next, saving one of the most complex languages in the world. The race to preserve a crucial part of First Nations culture with fewer than 200 people who still speak it. And protest economics, the impact of the demonstration that's paralyzed parts of Ottawa. Still busy, but steady in both directions over here tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge, which is some leftover pockets of volume eastbound on the connector through Richmond. Through Carmack Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Carmack, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Carmack Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Well, with each passing day, the economic toll of the protests against COVID restrictions grows. It's impacting government coffers, businesses already battered by the pandemic, and as Global's Anne Gaviola explains, eventually it hits all of our wallets. It's really, it's really disheartening. First bite treats in Ottawa's Byward Market started the year off with a lockdown. Then the protest convoy descended on nearby Parliament Hill. And the financial toll is painful as people and delivery services shun the downtown core. Business has been, to be frank, um, pretty tough. The Rideau Centre, Ottawa's largest mall with 175 shops, has been closed since the weekend, affecting thousands of employees and neighbouring businesses. Mall owner Cadillac Fairview says the continued closure of an important community space, loss of employment income and financial impact on clients is heartbreaking given our shared pain and sacrifice during the pandemic. Costs for the city of Ottawa run 800000 for policing, plus $1 million in city services every day. The city's asking for help from the provincial and federal governments, including 1,800 more officers, which would bring daily policing costs to $2.5 million. 
context, security for a Canada Day celebration runs north of $600,000. This eclipses that. Lingering uncertainty about how long this drags on means long-term damage to tourism, hospitality and retail as visitors stay away. Even if they leave next week, could they be back in a month? Could they be back in two months? With cross-border traffic disrupted at the Ambassador Bridge between Windsor and Detroit, the busiest land connection for Canada-U.S. trade, and blockades causing delays at the American border in and around Coots, Alberta, analysts expect the price of goods trucked in to go up the longer this continues, especially food. And that's on top of existing supply chain-related inflation. The RCMP tells Global News they don't yet have a tally of policing costs to taxpayers, but they'll have one soon. This could be a major disruption uh, if the government can't find a way to bring this back under control and unite everybody politically, socially and economically. Anne Gaviola, Global News, Toronto. The final link to the Okanagan's recreational corridor could soon be complete. Successful negotiations between the District of Lake Country, the City of Kelowna and the Okanagan Indian Band have paved the way for the Okanagan Rail Trail. Parties involved are confirming a memorandum of understanding is now in place that will finalize completion of the trail, which was started back in 2018. As part of the deal, the Okanagan Indian Band will provide land access once Ottawa formally transfers title. Up until now, the trail has not been built through band land. Extensive public consultation with businesses and residents in the area will also be coordinated by the city of Kelowna. The Vancouver Park Board has approved another pilot project to allow drinking in some parks. The Park Board says it learned lessons from last year's pilot and will take those into consideration for this summer. A report shows people thought designated drinking areas were very well defined and park users who were drinking generally didn't stick to the boundaries. Commissioners have also asked staff to look into the sale of alcohol at concession stands, saying it would be a great revenue opportunity. Well, you will soon be able to buy a piece of Vancouver's infamous barge. The website Vancouver is Awesome has teamed up with a local radio station to sell pieces of the barge to benefit charity. The website says it has a commitment from the owner to get a part of the barge when it's cut up and carried away. It's hoped that work will get underway in the next few weeks. The website says it is still determining which charities will benefit. It's estimated that 75% of Canada's Indigenous languages are at risk of extinction as their few remaining speakers pass away. So now Kylie Stanton shows us an ambitious project to record, translate and digitize the Kwakwala, one of the rarest and most complex spoken languages in the world, with a goal to make it easier to learn. It's said to be one of the most complex indigenous languages in the world. And with fewer than 200 people able to speak it, it's also seriously endangered. Most of our speakers are, are fluent speakers whose first language is Kwakwa, are well into their 70s, um, and, and most are, are, are around 80 years old. That's left an Indigenous-led research team out of Port Hardy in a race against time, developing a unique approach to revitalizing the Kwakwala language, making it more accessible for the next generation. 
it's about reinstilling the will to live and the will to remain on earth among our youth and those who are troubled in our nations. Now the memories of elders are being recorded, transcribed and translated. With the goal of developing speech recognition software for the language. Because languages aren't just about words. So immersive technologies are a great way of immersing yourself into that cultural context while applying the language. The project is being funded by the national innovation organization, MyTax, with $450,000 over four years, allowing the team consistency and time to develop a program with lasting impacts. It sets precedence. This is something that can be the benchmark for future projects, and it also opens up the doors of what we can do within MyTax to work with other Indigenous communities. The need is there. According to UNESCO, 75% of Canada's Indigenous languages are at risk of becoming extinct over the next few decades. And while the work is daunting, the communities say it's key to reconciliation. And also key to have it well underway before the elders who've kept the language alive pass on. That's the best gift we can give them. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Coming up, wearable masterpieces. When I started researching, I was like, oh, okay, this is, uh, this is a lot of work. Why, getting laid off might be the best thing that ever happened to artist Dave Benning. But first, the snowpack survey and what it says about the potential for spring flooding. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. According to the latest provincial data, snowpack levels for the Okanagan are in the normal range for this time of year. But that doesn't mean flooding isn't top of mind. In fact, as Global's Travis Lowe reports, it depends on a number of variables. As temperatures start to warm up, an old man winter's icy grip melts into more of a watery drip, many concerns turn to the amount of snow in BC's mountains. Anytime we have the snow near normal, there is a risk for flooding for the spring snowmelt period. As of today, the province's overall snowpack sits at 110% of normal. And that has people wondering if spring freshet will see a repeat of last fall's devastating flooding that cost an estimated $450 million of insured damages. March is traditionally the time when the snowpack survey can become of concern to the BC River Forecast Centre, but given everything that's gone on when it comes to climate change of late, it's really no surprise that it's getting more attention right now. At 88%, the Boundary Region, home to the Kettle River watershed, was the only snow basin below normal. And despite what seemed like a record-setting amount of snow on the valley floor this winter, the Okanagan measured 90%, which is considered normal for this time of year. But a warming trend in the valley threatens to melt some of that away early. We are hitting this pivot point mid-month where we're seeing those temperatures surging way above average. Normal daytime high this time of year is around plus one in Kelowna. And right now we're seeing those daytime highs six to seven degrees. Quinlan predicts the forecast for the foreseeable future is for valley temps to stay above average. But how will that translate in terms of flooding? 
Where we're most fearful, of course, is if we happen to have a, a cold spring. Uh, so March and April are, are cold and wet and get even more continued snow accumulation. And then the, the worst case scenario is to have a, a really significant hot spell in, in May or early June that would cause all of the snow to melt rapidly at once. Boyd says that the threat of a heat dome episode in June is what really worries him. And that's concerning, considering the fact that climate change has made weather variables harder and harder to predict. Travis Lowe, Global News, Kelowna. That may be true, but we've got all the tools to predict it as accurately as we can. And Christy's got it all for us right now. Thanks, Chris. Yes, we sure do try, that's for sure. But uh, there's always sort of some outliers that are really tough to handle, especially with climate change right now. I wanted to show you, we broke uh, 11 records across the interior regions yesterday. It included just a few uh, across the south coast, but the top ones really were in the interior. Lytton hitting 14.2 degrees, Ashcroft 13.5, uh, Penticton as well, and Salmon Arm uh, for 12.9, breaking some long-to-standing records as well. And uh, as we heard, we're expecting it to stay above seasonal. Now, temperatures are going to drop, but considering average for this time of year is one degree, we're still uh, well above that. Now, it's not only the potential flooding in through uh, the springtime uh, that we're concerned about, but also avalanche risk. Just want you to point out, or I want to point out the North Coast coastal sections black in the Alpine. That means an extreme Alpine risk. The reason? Big warm-up in that area and heavy snow as well as heavy rain. Meantime, we are also looking at the sea to sky and in south coast inland sections with a high avalanche risk in the tree line. So be it bear in mind, we are going to see an increased avalanche risk with this warm-up that we are currently experiencing and will continue to as we head into the next few days as this big upper level ridge builds. Now into the weekend, we are going to see conditions remain above seasonal, but how much sunshine will we see? That is yet to be determined because we could start to see that inversion develop. In the meantime, there's the snow and rain for the North Coast coastal sections. Um, for our region, we are going to see drizzly, cloudy weather for at least the next 24 hours into Thursday morning before that upper level ridge really begins to build and hopefully brings us sunshine. But as I mentioned, we could see that valley cloud. But at this point, it looks like we could and we are expecting that sunshine. In the meantime, tomorrow, remaining cloudy but drizzly. Not as wet as what we saw today. Still a little bit of cloud cover on Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, though. Lots, to sun, lots of sunshine to look forward to, hopefully. Tonight's Central Windows weather window comes to you from Kelowna, where Cassandra captured this beautiful, very large uh, cumulus cloud as the sun was setting, creating Fire some beautiful colors over the city. Almost boating weather up there with some of those temperatures. Mm -hmm. Thanks very much, Christy. Mm -hmm. All right, Squire is here now. What have you got coming up, Squire? Well, um, since he got here, Bruce Boudreaux has spent a lot of time trying to convince Elias Pedersen to be a little more selfish. It certainly isn't because we're telling him to be more of a playmaker because he already can make good plays, but we want him to shoot more. This is what the Canucks want to see. Pedersen using his great shot more than he has been this year. Also tonight, a BC artist takes a major step to a new career thanks to a tip from his fashion-conscious daughter.
Let's hope the let's hope the Coyotes are howling in pain tonight. That's pretty game. good. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. It's a dog day tonight, or it's a dog night, as the case may be. <laughs> Not a three-dog night. night. That's an there old band go. reference. Uh, the Canucks of Arizona in town this evening. The Islanders are here tomorrow. In fact, six of the next seven games for Vancouver will be in Vancouver. They'll be missing Quinn Hughes, of course, all week because of COVID protocol. But after being out of practice yesterday, the guy right beside me was back this morning. Elias Pettersson will play tonight. And as we have seen this season, Pettersson's performance has been cutting in and out like a bad cell phone. He has to be more consistent. When you are cashing the check with the big digits, you have to put up some big numbers to justify it. And honestly, so far this season, Pedersen really hasn't been putting up big numbers enough on a regular basis. If, if we got goals from our top six uh, um, or even our top nine uh, or anybody on the forward uh, uh brigade we we'd be much better off there's no better time for Elias Pettersson to find his game than right now he's gone pointless in three straight games mustering all of two shots in just over nine periods of hockey for whatever reason the Elias Pettersson of old has yet to return to form despite Bruce Boudreau wanting him to shoot the puck more in the hope of getting Pettersson going again my middle name's not Kreskin uh if if I could figure it out it's not like he hasn't been told it's not like uh uh, he's trying to be too unselfish. I try to tell him to, to be more selfish. Uh, matter of fact, uh, uh, in Nashville, I told him, start shooting the puck more. And the next shift he went out, shot the puck and hit the crossbar. But that was his last shot of the game. Pedersen isn't the only one who's gone cold. Leading scorer JT Miller is also pointless in three straight, as is Bo Horvat. The Canucks captain just four points in ten games. But clearly the guy who has to find his way again is Elias Pedersen. And until he does, the message isn't changing. Uh, I would love him to get, you know, four or five shots on goal a game. And I think we would we would all too. But uh, the rest of the group would. But it, it hasn't happened. Uh, and uh, it certainly isn't because we're telling him to be more of a playmaker. Because he already can make good plays. But we want him to shoot more. It just hasn't been happening this year. Jay Janowar, Global Sports. Now, with Quinn Hughes on the sideline, there was some thought that maybe the Canucks would recall defenseman Jack Rathbone from Abbotsford. They didn't do that. So why did Rathbone not get the call from the Canucks? Well, the reason is they want him to work on his defensive play, and the best place to do that right now is down in Abbotsford. We didn't call him up this time. In my mind, is our strength is defense right now. And uh, uh, so, I mean... We wanted the, the better defensive defenseman uh, up uh, that we thought right now. And in the end, you know, we'll probably use him because I've heard a lot of great things about him. His body of work is very small at the pro level. So uh, for me as a, as a coach, I want more time with young prospects so we can have a more rounded, polished uh, guy, hockey player, to send to Bruce and to send to the Vancouver Canucks. All right, so last night, that was a great win by Canada over the U.S. in women's hockey. Great goaltending, 51 saves. Uh, Canada will now play Sweden in the uh, quarterfinals. Russia, ROC if you like, against Switzerland. The U.S. will take on the Czech Republic. Finland against Japan. And the way things are set up, yes, if they keep on winning, Canada and the U.S. would meet for the gold medal. Uh, The B.C. Lions went on a shopping spree for free agents today. Eight players, including some 
former Lions making a return, like defensive back uh, Luchez Purifoy, defensive lineman David Menard, and kicker Sean White. And that one is truly a homecoming, as White is from White Rock, which makes perfect sense. He started his pro career with the Lions, but hasn't been a BC Lion since way back in 2010. He's hit on 87% of all his field goals he's kicked over the years. He's 36, but his leg is still as strong as ever, a graduate of Semiamu. Happy to be back in B.C. after spending the last six years with Edmonton. And the Lions also signed former UBC quarterback Michael O'Connor, who has been with Calgary and Toronto in the CFL, which means that right now the Lions' number one and number two quarterbacks are both Canadians. That's kind of like seeing Haley's Comet. As far as anyone knows, this may never have happened before in CFL history. I don't want to dismiss it and call it a side note but that wasn't our primary motivation i think it's great that they're canadian and um it worked out that way but that was not our main motivation the great thing i like about both both these guys is you tell them you tell them the news obviously they're excited but they it doesn't change their work ethic or their demeanor or how they go about their business they just continue to continue to work so um, I, while I do think it is a cool thing that it's two Canadian quarterbacks, the primary motivation was to find uh, um, you know, the best combination that's going to help our football team win. And back to the Olympics, if you want to see the latest medal standings. Well, there they are right there in Canada, still with six, which is a good start. One, one, and four bronze. There you go. We'll take it. All right. Thanks, Squire. Proud of our athletes for sure. All right, up next, we'll meet a BC artist who really wants you to walk a mile in his shoes. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC in partnership with Pacific Blue Cross, flexible small business health benefits for challenging times. It's unusual to hear that a pandemic layoff was a good thing, but for one local artist, it helped stoke his creative side. In tonight's edition of This Is BC, Jay Durant shows us how it was a request by his daughter that really put him on the path to success. So in all, all be about 30, 36 faces, I think, which is big. Being laid off during the pandemic turned out to be a blessing in disguise for Dave Benning. He spent 155 consecutive days painting in a studio. I think I got pretty good, pretty, pretty confident in my work. So having the practice was definitely the key. For over a decade, Benning's been creating pop culture portraits and would get the occasional commission from a customer. Just a hobby hobby that I've, I work on weekends in my spare time. It's my... Netflix. But it was his daughter who introduced him to a new idea that has seen his art sales really take off. She asked Dad to paint her a pair of shoes. I didn't really think much of it. I was like, sure, yeah, yeah, no problem. And then uh, when I started researching, I was like, oh, okay, this is, uh, this is a lot of work. After buying some tiny brushes, he's now turning out some incredible work. But it took a lot of practice shifting to a three-dimensional canvas. You've got to be creative. If you have uh, shoes with laces in, you've got to kind of work around them. 
how you're going to fit your design on, where the stitching is. There's so many more things to think about. They start at $5.25 a pair. He's had a couple of celebrity purchases so far, a member from the band Anthrax and a Battlestar Galactica actor. So word's getting around. Shoes have gone to Australia. They've gone. A few pairs have gone to the UK. I've, I've, all over the states, which has been good. So this is a pair of uh, Nike Air Force Ones. These are custom done up. So as hard as it might be for some customers to wear them out, this is functional art. But there are limitations. Don't do a tough mudder in them, or don't wear them out in the snow, or you know. But uh, I give you a cotton bag too, so you can kind of wear them at work or whatever. This is now shaping up to be Benning's new full-time job thanks to a great idea from his daughter, who wouldn't mind some of the perks, but none of the commission or credit. No, no, but she does get shoes whenever she wants them. Jay Durant, Global News. Excellent idea from his daughter. Well, if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, just email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Sharp Live Squire Barnes picked out something unique about the Batman. That's old school Batman. That's old from the school. TV mm-hmm. series. That's uh, Cesar Romero as the Joker and Adam West as Batman. Wow. Adam West, of course, is on Family Guy as Mayor Adam West for years. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's so right. The Maybe. trivia just keeps going and going. I know. You and I did hear Hey Joe number. in the background when we were seeing the Jimi Hendrix painting. <laughs> <laughs> hey, last word on weather before we go. Christy. Sure. So we are still expecting showers overnight. Tomorrow will be a bit drier, but it's a drizzly gray day still expected tomorrow. And then we transition out of it on Thursday. Lots to look forward to. Hopefully that sunshine stays and we don't get that inversion develop. We'll wait to see how things transpire for the next little while. So stay tuned. Sounds Crossing good. Crossing my fingers. Thanks, yeah. Christy. Thanks a lot, everybody.